Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss to the man, it, the one I will kiss is the man, and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led them to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testi testify against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. Well, my name is Ben, and if I haven't met you, I'd love to before... Before you leave today, um, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to our passage in Matthew 26. Um, 
we are going to dig into this, and there is a lot to learn. Um, there's so much going on in this, uh, in this passage and, and leading up to this and even following this that's all connected. So let me kind of give you um, a little bit of context so you can better understand where we're at. <clears throat> um, in this chapter, Matthew 26, we have seen the Last Supper uh, where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover meal, which he turned into communion. He institutes uh, communion. And, and then they go from there to on their way to Gethsemane. And Jesus, on the way, he tells his disciples, hey guys, everyone of you, you're going to fall away from me this night. And maybe you remember, Peter is like, not me, they might, but not this guy. And Jesus is like, yeah, Pete, you. Actually, three times you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. Um, and so that happens leading up to this. Um, the disciples go with Jesus then into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, we're going to pray together. He takes Peter, James, and John uh, actually with him further into the garden and he tells them to watch him pray, and, uh, and he goes and he falls down on his face, and he cries out to God, um, and, and he's submitting his will to the Lord. Not my will, Father, but yours. Not my will, but yours, he says three times. Um, Matthew 26, 40 through 41, really key for understanding the context of what we're in right here. It, 40 and 41 says, and he came to the disciples... And he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That is a key for understanding our passage today. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So then Jesus goes back to praying, and he comes back, and these guys are sleeping again. And he, so this happens three times, and then verse 45, their hour of temptation comes. He says, verse 45, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." This is the hour that he was telling them about on the way to the garden when he said, you're all going to betray me tonight. You're all going to fall away tonight. So the mob comes and they grab Jesus and notice that Jesus doesn't put up a fight. He, he submits to this. He just walks right into the hands of these sinners. And then Peter does put up a fight. He pulls out a sword. And he starts swinging, right? And, um, and this is the first misstep that Peter makes this night. What we didn't read is that right after this is where Peter is going to deny Jesus those three times that Jesus said he was going to do. Um, and then he goes out weeping. And each and every one of us have experienced that hour of temptation, Right where, um, where we know 
man, this temptation is coming to a head, and we've, we've all experienced what that's like where we didn't stand up under it, and we walked away with a bloody nose, or maybe we crawled away weeping. Um, in the Bible, we see this happen to many people. For Eve, it's when she saw the forbidden fruit, and she realized that it was desirable for her to eat. For Joseph, it was when Potiphar's wife grabbed him by the clothes and, and presented herself to him. For David, it's when he stood on the roof and he saw Bathsheba bathing. We all know what it's like for temptation to come to a head. And ready or not, you're entered into battle. And it's, it's started. And if you are sick and tired of losing those battles, this sermon is for you. This is that hour for Peter and the rest of the disciples. They've entered into battle. They went into it sleeping, unfortunately. And we see the way that they react. But I I don't want us to miss this. This is also the hour of temptation for Jesus. This is really important. We find in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus endured the cross. Maybe you've read that before and wondered, what does that mean? He endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what we're going to see, what we see in this passage, and what we see in other gospel accounts, is that this entire ordeal, this entire suffering that he goes through, he could have at any moment escaped from it. At any moment, he could have tapped out, and he didn't. So how does he endure it? That's what we're going to see, and that's what we're going to be able to take home with us. So pray with me, and we'll, we'll dig in. Father, God, we want to be able to stand up under temptation, and we just humbly bow before you today and say, we fail so many times, but we want to be strong in the strength of your might. We want to learn from you how to put our sin to death by the power of the Spirit, how to stand up in our hour of temptation. So Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the Scriptures for us and speak through the Scriptures pointedly to us? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So about five years ago, um, I took a trip to India, and, and then when I came back, while I was in India, I decided that I needed to get in shape, that it had been a few, few years since I'd uh, exercised, and I decided, now it's time. i got to do something about this. And so, come back in town from India, fly back, and um, the very next day I decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in. Michael Lee, um, some of you know him, had been going to this new gym, and they had these classes, and he was talking about it, and he had invited me and said, you got to come with me to the gym. And so I just decided, why not go to the gym and join a class the day after flying across the world? 
what could, what could go wrong? Um, so the class gets started, and I'm like, I mean, my heart, I, I, my heart hadn't beat that hard in years, right? And I'm, I'm looking to my right and to my left, and I and I'm just want to keep up with the, the people around me, right? And I'm, I'm like, okay, come on, just fight through this. You can do this. And, and so, you know, I am, I am mustering every ounce of my will, and sweat is beginning to pour down my face as this thing gets going. And and I fight, and I, and I claw, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to make it through. And in order to get through, I don't know how you get motivated, but I hear the eye of the tiger <laughs> begins to play in my head. And scenes from Rocky Four, like when he's carrying the log through the snow, that starts to play in my head. And I'm like, come on. If Rocky could do it, you can do it. And... I hear, you know, the trainer yelling encouragement. Two more minutes. Just keep it up. Just fight through. And um, I hold on for the last two minutes. I come crashing to the ground in a heap. And I think, I am exhausted, but I've made it. Or so I thought. And it's then that I hear the dreaded words, great (laughs) warm-up. And I think there is no way that was a warm-up. So I peel myself off the floor, and I decide I, it would be absolutely the most humiliating thing in the world to walk out now. I have to go for it. So we start the actual workout. And uh, this time I didn't make it to the end. I found myself on all fours doing everything in my power to keep from throwing up. The room was spinning around me, and I literally crawled through all the people that were still doing the workout. I crawled on my hands and knees to the closest bathroom. I'd rushed into battle unprepared, you see. My weakness was exposed, and I was humiliated, and I learned a few important lessons. Number one, don't overdo it in the (laughs) warm-up. Number two, don't try to do the hardest thing you've done in years the day after flying across the the world. Number three, don't, don't join a class at the gym without a little preparation. And number four, pick a station that's close to an exit or a bathroom. So when I read the story that we read this morning, I look at Peter, and I see myself in Peter. He goes into battle a little overconfident, very overconfident, and very underprepared. And I see see in him this fear that kind of takes over, and he just, it's fight or flight, and so he's like, well, fight! I see his impetuous nature. I see the weakness of his flesh. And we've all experienced times when the hour of temptation has come upon us. And before it's all over, our real selves are exposed. And we're crawling away with the room spinning. 
But Jesus, in this same story, shows us how to stand firm under temptation. And what we see is that we must pray for strength beforehand, and we must meditate on the Scriptures as a way of wielding the sword of the Spirit. So, point number one, I only have two points with a few observations with each one today. Point number one is that prayer strengthens us like nothing else to stand under temptations. When we talk about temptation, what we're, what we're getting at is a fork in the road. It's that moment where you've got a choice to make. You're either, you've either got to choose to submit to God's will or do it your way, right? You're either going to give in to this sinful urge or you're going to do what you know the Father would want you to do, what you know God's Word says to do. That is when temptation hits. That's what we're faced with. And that's what Jesus prayed ahead for. Three times he says, verse 39, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42, your will be done. Verse 44, he prayed for the third time the same words again. And as I said, that The temptation that Jesus faced that night was the temptation to escape the suffering that he knew he had to go through. To avoid the cup of wrath that the Father had asked him to drink. And just to show that he could have escaped this at any moment, notice what he says in verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels. John's account of the same story gives us some other insight into it. John's account, it says that when they come walking up, Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And when he says the words, I am he, the whole mob falls back. He could have spoken words at any moment during his arrest, during his trial, at any moment he could have spoken words and left every one of his enemies on their rear. He was completely in control of this entire thing. But he stood up under this temptation And he did so firstly because he had prayed, he'd settled it in prayer before the hour of testing was upon him. And that's my first observation about praying for strength in temptation is that we need to pray before the hour is upon us. Jesus does not wait until he's in chains, until the arrest has happened, until he's in his trial to start praying for the strength that he needs to drink this cup. He doesn't wait until he's in battle. He prays beforehand, while the night was still, while there's no chaos, right? Puritan John Owen wrote about the hour of temptation this way. He says, how will we know when temptation reaches its peak? The first is by temptation's restless urgency. When it is time for battle, 
temptation gives the soul no rest. Satan sees his advantage, appraises the forces that he can deploy, and knows in this moment that he must prevail or lose. How many know that when it gets to that point, it's really hard to start praying? Yeah. And so we've got to follow the example of our Lord. He says in verse 41, again, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation or give in to temptation. We need to be as prepared as possible before the hour of temptation is upon us. Because when the hour of temptation hits, we've got to draw from whatever spiritual strength we have in that moment. Which brings me to the next observation about praying for strength in the hour of temptation. That is that we need to watch and pray because the flesh is weak. Look at what he says to Peter, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, it brings us back to the fact that Peter had too much confidence in himself. He had too much confidence in his own strength, in his own flesh. And if he'd known how truly weak his flesh was, then when Jesus said to him, you, you need to stay awake right now. You're, you're about to all fall away from me. You need to watch and pray. He would have done it. He would have fought through in prayer if he would have known how truly weak he was. But he didn't. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The first, the first misstep is to think that you're stronger than you really are in your own strength. Fleshly confidence is the first step to failure. Isn't it true that when we're not in the thick of battle, we look at those things that lead us into sin and we laugh at them and we think, I can't believe that thing tempted me. I would never fall for that again. Right? And then something happens. In the hour of temptation, John Owen refers to it as the mind-darkening power of temptation. Suddenly, the thing that you looked at previously and shrugged it off, the thing you looked at previously and laughed about, the thing that you thought, I would never fall for that again, suddenly, that thing has you in its grip. All of a sudden, you can't see rightly. The fog of temptation descends. And so we need to learn to pray when we are not under the mind-darkening fog of temptation, that we would have the strength to submit to God's will when it comes. When we don't watch and pray, it shows that we think we're stronger than we really are. But when we remember how weak we are, we will fling ourselves upon God for help. If we walk into our next battle unprepared and overconfident, we're going to walk away with a bloody nose, like Peter did. Third observation about prayer from this passage 
is that we need to pray to keep our eyes on Christ. We need to pray to keep our eyes on Christ. If I had to dwindle it down to just like one thing to be praying before the hour of temptation hits, it's when, God, when I am faced with this next temptation, would you help me to keep my eyes fixed on Christ? It's not explicitly stated in this passage, but you can see that Peter got his eyes off of Jesus. If he hadn't, I think he would have been praying when he was supposed to be praying, and I don't think he would have taken his sword out of its sheath. Hebrews 12.1 tells us to fix our eyes on, on him, on Christ. Revelation 3.10 says, Jesus speaking, I will keep you from the hour of trial. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world. Only Jesus is able to, in the words of Jude, verse 24, keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the throne. Only He can keep us from stumbling, but He can keep us from stumbling. Right? When does Peter sink when he's walking on water? It's when he got his eyes off of Jesus. And he got his eyes on the wind and the waves. So if we can pray one thing leading us to be ready for the hour of temptation, it's help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. And when we do, the mind-darkening fog of temptation begins to lift. Suddenly, we recognize that Jesus is enough. Suddenly, we realize that sin isn't all that appealing after all that He really does satisfy my soul, that He really does feed me with bread from heaven and living water. And I can see sin for what it is in the light of Christ and His beauty. When I was a firefighter, um, one of the things that they trained us was, in a fire, you are going to be very disoriented. The, the heat, the noise, and the darkness are extremely disorienting. And in fact, we studied different firefighters who died because they, they got in the middle of a building somewhere, they got disoriented, and they, they couldn't make it out. And so we did this training, and the training was you never leave your hose. You, you stay on the hose, no matter what. No matter what else you're, you're having to deal with, no matter what other situation you're up against in that building, there might be things falling or whatever else might happen, you stay on the hose. And so we would do these drills and they would take our fire hood and they would spin it around backwards so you're just completely blind in your gear. And you, and you go into these situations that they make intentionally disorienting. They have loud music playing. They have people yelling at you in different places. And, and they have hoses all draped over each other in this huge tangled mess. And you have to stay on your hose. Why? Because as long as you're on that hose, you can turn around and go out the way you came in. The hose is your way of escape. 
And if we keep our eyes on Christ, then no matter how thick the fog of temptation gets, He will give us a way out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we don't need to wait until we are in the thick of battle to start praying for strength to stand. We need to watch and pray for strength before the hour of temptation. We need to remember that though the spirit might be willing, the flesh is very, very weak. And it will be exposed when temptation comes. And we need to pray to keep our eyes on Jesus who's able to keep us from stumbling. So, that's the first half of the sermon. Are you thinking about where Satan comes at you? You ought to be. Where does he attack you? Paul says, we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes. We need to know, we need to, look, learn his playbook. You you know how he attacks you. Study it. it. Figure it out so that you can, what? Watch and pray. Watch with prayer. So where is your stumbling block? Is it lust? Is it, is it anger that wells up and wants to explode? Is it pride? Arrogance, self-confidence? Is it a warped attitude of some kind, some way that you look at things wrongly and you turn it around to make it about you? Self-pity? What is it for you? Study the enemy's playbook. Don't be ignorant of his schemes. And watch and pray beforehand. Don't don't laugh at that thing and say, I'd never fall for that again. That was so stupid. Watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right, second half of the sermon. Point number two. Meditating on God's word stabilizes us like nothing else in temptation. Meditating on God's Word. So praying beforehand strengthens you for when the hour of temptation comes. Meditating on God's Word in the hour of temptation stabilizes you. It gives you some firm footing under you. Here's what opened up my eyes in this passage. We know that Peter pulls a sword out, starts swinging. But did you know that Jesus wields a sword too? Ephesians 6.17 calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. And what is Jesus' mind on in this chaos? How then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? All this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And when I saw it, I asked myself, how in the world are you thinking about the fulfillment of the Scriptures at a time like this? He's, 
I mean, do you understand the scene? Can you see the drama of it? This crowd, this mob coming up with clubs and swords and and lanterns and torches to arrest him in the dark of night. Do you see this? Can you imagine yourself in this spot? And what's his mind fixed on? The Word. And as he's standing trial, as he's being mocked, as as he's standing in a rigged trial, what's his mind on? He's actually thinking about a prophecy about him from Daniel 7. It's what his mind was fixed on. So point number one, or observation number one about this, this point of meditating on God's Word stabilizes us like nothing else under temptation, is that in the hour of temptation, we all reach for a sword. In the hour of temptation, we all reach for a sword. Here's here's what it says in verse 51 and 52. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus, that's Peter, we find out from other gospel accounts, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the high priest and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. John's account tells us that Jesus, while he's saying that, he's picking up this guy's ear and putting it back on his head. He's trying to, he's having to undo the mess that Peter just made. In the moment of temptation, when the moment of temptation hits, we have a choice to make. We're going to reach for a sword. We will. Will you do what Peter did and pick up the sword of the flesh? The sword that he swings, it represents his own strength, his, his own decisions, his own fighting skills, right? The sword is what, it represents what we instinctively reach for in the hour of temptation. Our instincts, our intuition, our wisdom, our experience, our education, fill in the blank. When we're tempted, we have a tendency to turn to ourselves, our resources. What can I do here? Oh, I've got a sword. So what's your go-to in the hour of temptation? What, what do you turn to that's your fleshly sword? Maybe something doesn't go your way, and so you give way to self-pity. Maybe someone acts in a way that you are not happy with, and so you you give way to anger. Or lust wells up in your flesh, and so you start to justify and excuse it. Or you feel out of control in a situation, so you start trying to manipulate people to get in control. 
What is it? Whatever you reach for that isn't the Word of God is only going to make a mess that Jesus has to clean up. And I want us to see how Jesus responded in this hour of temptation. Look at that a little closer. So Jesus is meditating on the Scriptures. This is how He is responding. Again, verse 54, How then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. All this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So again, Peter and Jesus are contrasts. Peter's swinging his sword. Jesus is standing on the Word. He's fixing his mind on what's true. And it's keeping him poised. Like, how can someone possibly be so poised in a situation like this? How can someone possibly be so clear-headed in a situation like this? So others-oriented. I mean, he's picking up this guy's ear and healing him. One of the guys in the mob. How? He knows the Scriptures, and he's bringing them to mind. The Scriptures that relate to his specific situation. So, for example... Psalm 41.9 says, Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Or Psalm 55.12-14. But it's not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. Jesus knew the scriptures that a friend would betray him, that he'd be delivered into the hands of sinners. And so in this hour of temptation, He focuses on this. This is the fulfillment of the Scriptures. And it stabilizes him. When faced with a temptation, what do you do? You turn your mind to Scripture that speaks directly to the situation you're facing. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Storing up God's Word in your heart. Why? It's so that when the hour of temptation comes, you can take the sword of the Spirit and wield it. It's our weapon against sin's power. So, what are you tempted with? Is it fear? Psalm 56.3 says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Is it distraction that constantly keeps your eyes off of Christ? Psalm 119.37 says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Is it worry and anxiety about what might happen, what could happen tomorrow? You need to meditate on Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Is lust your battle? Then you could meditate on Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is it a lack of discipline? Is it laziness that creeps in? Then you could meditate on Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Do you have a tendency to get self-focused? You could meditate on 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for Him. There, there is Scripture for every temptation we face. If you will, search for it. Store it up in your heart. And if you don't know Scripture that relates to your situation, ask somebody. That's why we live in a family called the local church. It's so that we can be in relationship, so we can open up, so we can say, hey, this is something I struggle with. What are some verses that deal specifically with that so I can memorize those, so that I can have those ready when the fog of temptation descends? And then we see not only is he is Jesus focusing on scriptures that are relevant to his situation, but he's also he's, he's meditating on scripture that, that affirms his identity and his future hope. Again, we look at when he's standing there in this rigged trial, and they're, they're, they're spewing lies about him. He, he's rarely opening his mouth. When he does, what's he say? Verses 63 and 64 Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's got his mind fixed on the joy that is set before him. He's thinking ahead to his future. He's thinking about his true identity. He is meditating on this messianic text from Daniel 7. I'm going to be riding the clouds. I'm going to be presented before the Father, and I'm going to receive dominion. It might look like Jesus is not doing much, just standing there still before his accusers. But make no mistake about it, he is fighting to endure. And he is fighting with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when temptation comes upon you, if you can't think of a scripture that directly addresses the temptation you're in, you can at least think of Scripture that affirms your new identity in Christ and your future hope. Like 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Or 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven 
for you. Praise God. Each and every one of us are going to face temptations this week and every other week as long as we're in these fleshly bodies. So let's not make the mistake that I made when I went to Michael's gym. <laughs> let's not go in overly confident and underprepared. Instead, let's pray beforehand that he would strengthen us, that he would help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's store up God's word in our heart so that when the fog of temptation descends, we can reach for the right sword and we can stand up under whatever comes our way because God is faithful and he will give us the way of escape. Let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that um, thank you that we have your word on our phones, um, and uh, and we have it in written form. We can listen to it and we can read it. Thanks for that reminder, God. And as we go into this week, Father, would you help us? Help us not to look at the things that have tripped us up and scoff and say, that would never get me again. Help us instead to to say, I want to be ready, Lord. I want to be strong, whatever I face. Help us to do the work to be prepared. Help us to watch and pray. And Lord, help us to know your word, to study your word, to search it, and to find the scriptures that speak directly to the temptations we face. Help us not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Make us strong, Lord, in the strength of your might, so that by the Spirit we can put to death the deeds of the body. Thank you that you've given us the promise that if we will use the weapons that you've given to us, We can stand underneath temptation's power. May we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.